Let's bring in Colin Roche, joining us, the CIO at Discipline Funds. Has been all over the inflation story the last year and a half, never gave in to the transitory language and spin. Colin, to see the market respond the way it is today, we have to be careful about extrapolating too, too much from a day. Uh, but at least let's start with the basics. This number, certainly in inflation, only emboldens the Fed. Is that not right? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, the, so I've actually I've been studying, you know, how Fed policy works and I've been researching how this tool works. And it's amazing. <laughs> you can break things really easily with this thing. It's really amazing. That's but, Powell's red hikes right there. You know, but what that's do you actually use that for Colin. <laughs> <laughs> People who follow me on Twitter know too much about my my home remodel. I broke <laughs> I actually broke a lot of stuff with that thing. But but that's in essence, the way that a lot of Fed policy works, and we're starting to see these cracks in the system. And so, you know, the the somewhat worrisome thing about today's inflation print is that there's no let up in a lot of what we're seeing. And so what I've kind of been saying in the last few months really is that the Fed always tends to lag. They, because they're so data dependent, they have to be looking at this sort of rear view mirror approach. And the worrisome thing about a print like today is that you're starting to get a lot of conflicting data where a lot of the real time data, things like commodities or like the monthly manufacturing price indices, these things are starting to turn over. And some of them have started to turn over quite a lot. Whereas a lot of the data that the Fed looks at is lagging. And so, they're they're still smashing with the sledgehammer and actually it feels like they're going to pick up the pace with the sledgehammer and that's that's somewhat worrisome i've heard you writing about this and i think it's interesting because uh watching your evolution of understanding this event again uh a year ago the we had a whole conversation here about how transitory wasn't a, a useful term it wasn't an accurate term you told us that the next wave of inflation was going to be more sticky, thanks to things like uh, rent prices and the services components of the economy. But it sounds to me like you've also argued lately that the Fed may not want to go too far. So walk me through that, because it seems like you're, you're on the inflation pulse. I mean, if this, even if that hammer breaks some things in the room, if it hits the, the mosquito that's got the malaria, is it worth it? Yeah, well, so that's the the troublesome thing here is that on the one hand, you've got the worry is, is this a return of the 1970s versus does this is this starting to look more like a 2008? So you've kind of got this push pull of is this 1978 or is this 2008? And I think that the way things are now evolving, this is starting to look increasingly like a 2008 type of scenario where the Fed is very lagging in what they're looking at, and the risk going forward is sort of evolving from more of an interest rate risk that, you know, the real risk we've seen this year, and it's evolving into what looks like more and more of a credit risk, which is the worry going forward that as all of these, you know, benchmark policy rates readjust higher, the corporate markets and the household markets are all gonna have to readjust all of this debt at these higher rates, and that becomes a credit story going forward, which is inherently more of a deflation. We may not see actual deflation like 2008, but I think that the likelihood of a of disinflation going forward is now becoming much, much higher than the risk of a sustained, very high rate of inflation. When do you think that transition might happen? 
Um, and well, firstly here, before we talk about that transition from inflation to deflation, if, if the mechanism to cause that is a credit event, let's talk about that first here. Here's your chart of corporate debt to GDP. Obviously, we've got a lot out there right now, but are there signs that there is cracking here in the US? I mean, it looks like there's some in Europe. What are the signs that might be happening here? Yeah, I mean, credit spreads are starting to spike in even in the United States. You know, it's this one's weird because it, it, the worries abroad, I think, are actually much bigger, not only because I mean, first of all, the adjustable rate mortgage story in the United States is not really a big issue like it was back before the financial crisis. But this is a much bigger story abroad. And so you have a legitimate risk of the the banking system and especially the housing markets in some foreign markets where these adjustable rate mortgages are much more prominent. I mean, places like Canada and a lot of Europe, they exist only with adjustable rate mortgages. And especially in Europe, where the inflation story is much worse, you have the potential for this sort of, you know, you alluded earlier in your last segment to this sort of rolling bear market where a lot of this is just slowly evolving. And, you know, it's interesting even to look back at like the 08 period because you could have had the same sort of worry about things lagging things like rents and some of these more sticky indicators that, yeah, they start to spike before the credit risk becomes a problem. But if you were actually managing interest rate policy based on things like rents, for instance, you were way behind the curve in terms of what you were, you, the way policy should have positioned. And that's the worry that I'm, I'm getting more and more concerned about is that the Fed was late to recognize the inflation and now they're going to be late to recognize the, the risk of a credit risk um, event. And that's, that's my worry going forward now. And so how do we uh, be aware of that transition from the inflation being the major risk to deflation being the major risk? I mean, I, I look at the yield curve every day and it's actually kind of inching its way a tiny bit wider the last couple months. I mean, is that worth something? Our data has been beating economic surprises the best since May. I mean, it seems like we're a little bit stronger than expected. It's not just the inflation data that's beating. We've got some other stuff that's beating too. Yeah, I mean, the a lot of this is, I mean, when you look at the aggregate data, I mean, things like GDP, this has all been pretty stagnant for, for several quarters now, you know, the whole recession debate. I mean, the the employment data is also inherently lagging. So I don't I don't know how much I like looking at things like wages and employment in terms of trying to project out the the strength of inflation going forward, because the I mean, those things get revised, you know, numerous times and the data just inherently lags. And so you won't start to see the credit markets and the, the corporate markets and the employment markets really start to show signs of weakness until all of this filters through. And this, that's the thing that's very hard about, I think, the current environment is that, especially with it being a credit-based event and a, a primarily a housing-based event, this is going to take time. And so this is, I keep telling people, this thing has, it has a, it looks a lot like 2008 in some ways. It looks a lot like 2001 in some ways. Mm -hmm. Both of those events were multi, multi-year events. And so I think, unfortunately, we're kind of in the middle of one of those scenarios where I find it very hard to look out, for instance, to 2023 and see month over month headlines about housing that aren't just awful. Because that's the math of 7% mortgage rates, and that's where we're gonna be, it looks like, for all of 2023. 
I don't understand how housing isn't frozen over for basically all of 2023, which means that the the fixed private investment part of GDP and the housing market and all of the data corresponding to that is going to be just awful for 12 months. And that's going to that's going to be a tough road to hoe. Mm. Hey, Colin, uh, this might be too complicated of a question for the last 60 seconds we've got, but I want to make sure I ask it is as we're trying to assess real credit risk, as we're trying to assess real recession risk, obviously people generally look at treasuries and the bond market as a sign for that, watching yield curves, et cetera. Can the bond market still be trusted or are we finding out right now that it was oversupplied in such a way that we could have an economic downturn and yields might just keep spiking? It depends on how much the Fed decides to, you know, Hulk smash with the sledgehammer. Okay. And they can, I mean, if they keep going and they keep going aggressively, they are going to continue to smash the long end of the bond market. It's interesting, though, as you look at this, the short end of the curve, especially, you know, like we, full disclosure, we've been buying treasury bills for the first time in, I don't know, probably like 15 years. You start looking at short ends here things that are yielding four to 5% that are risk-free, a lot of this stuff looks on a relative basis, starts to look really, really attractive. I mean, from a basic financial planning perspective, the 4% rule was, it was null and void two, three years ago. All this stuff starts to look really attractive again. So yeah, you have to be careful going out on the long end. I think the certain pockets of the of the high yield market, the the even some pockets of the investment grade corporate debt markets are going to be troublesome going forward. But this is evolving from a an interest rate story to a credit risk story. But a lot of that short interest rate stuff, it starts to look a lot, lot more attractive in an environment like this going forward. I guess we'll have to see how uh, Europe's, uh, UK's bonds do after they stop buying here and uh, see if that risk-free definition still applies. Colin, thanks as always for your analysis. Good stuff. Like the illustrations. Very helpful for us in understanding some complex topics. Colin Roche, CIO at Discipline Funds.